Genesis chapter 7. So go there with me, Genesis chapter 7, from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. This is what the Bible says. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, I mean, the Bible is being specific here. On that day, all the foundations of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, and every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The, the water pre prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things and the birds of heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Get on the boat. I don't know if you can imagine with me, if you can, in your imagination, go back in your mind to what it must have been like in Noah's day before the flood. Some of you have been to beautiful places in the world. Some of you uh, come from exquisitely beautiful places in the world. Um, but can you imagine what the earth looked like before the flood? Can you imagine when, when people used to live for six, seven, eight hundred years old and they still look good, right? Six hundred years with the body of an 18-year-old. I mean, can you imagine, right? Can you imagine what it was like, those big stately trees that God planted. Can you imagine those animals, massive in size, fantastic in, in majesty? Can you imagine a person whose mind 
was almost perfect. We have the geniuses of our, of our era after the flood. We have the Mozarts and the Platos and, 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 and etc. But can you imagine those geniuses back then? After 600 years of perfecting your craft. Noah's day, there were no slouches. It wasn't like what we imagined, people in the caves, kind of fumbling around, trying to create fire. These were great people. The Bible calls them people of renown. And so can you imagine in a day like that, doing something as foolish as building a boat on dry land? For 120 years or so, Noah, because God had told him to, built an ark. And, and we don't have time today to go into the dimensions, but suffice it to say that it was a massive ship, probably the size of about one and a half football fields in length. Okay? A big, big project. And can you imagine those people who would come for 120 years seeing this foolish project, this white elephant of a project, and saying to Noah, Noah, come on, what are you doing? There's never been rain. Rain doesn't exist. It's scientifically impossible, Noah. Why are you doing this? And poor Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, had to live with the stigma of being the children of the village idiot. Now, some of you grew up at a time when your parents were doing interesting things and you know maybe what it's like to go to school and everyone looks at you funny, you know, because, I don't know, whatever, maybe your family decided to, to, to become Christian or to join the Adventist church or whatever it was, but maybe some of you have had this experience when you're different than all the other kids and you know kids can be cruel. And I can imagine when Noah's sons were young boys and all the other boys were going out to, to look at the beautiful women. And, but can I just stop for a moment? How beautiful were those women, right? I mean, good grief. I mean, they're all going out to look at the beautiful young girls. What are you doing? Guys? Well, I'm going to stay home and welcome the boat. Again? Yes. It's been 50 years. I know. Maybe next week. Home with dad. Building the boat. Well, time goes by. It almost gets to the point where people get used to it, right? At first, they were, at first it was funny, like, this guy. Then after a while, people were angry, arguing with him, and then it took so long that they just got used to it. They almost didn't see it anymore. But one day it was completed. And one day God said to Noah, I want you to get on this boat, you and your family and the animals. And Noah obeys God. Here's the first point that I want us to understand. An ark is built for a flood. Let me say it again. An ark is built for a flood. It's designed to withstand the greatest catastrophe the world has ever seen. You're looking at me like, well, that, of course, but, but, but let me help you to understand the flip side of that. If this means that you can never truly, fully understand what an ark is until you are in it in a flood. An ark will never make sense 
except in a flood. For 120 years, Noah is building something that made no sense. But when he got in the boat, and when the waters came, and when the great deep, as the Bible says, broke open, it was in that moment that the true genius of the ark became apparent. As the waters of the flood lifted that great ship, and now this big, clunky, heavy, massive boat suddenly started moving and skimming and, 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 and wheeling on the waves like a, like a surfboard, then Noah understood the genius of God, but not before. Beloved, this morning I would like to suggest to you that faith is built for trial and doubt. You might build faith, you might grow faith in peaceful times, but its purpose is to withstand trial and doubt. Faith won't make sense when things are going well. To people who don't, who don't maybe understand what you're doing, why would you take good time on a Saturday morning to come and talk with other people in suits? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. Why would you pray to a God that you can't see? Why would you give 10% of your income? I mean, the government takes 22 or whatever it is. You give an extra 10. That's almost a third of your income. To do what? Pay a pastor who never comes to see you? Why would you do this? Faith doesn't make sense when things are going well. Because faith is designed for the trial. It's designed for the flood. But when the foundation of your life breaks away, when the very windows of heaven break open, when everything is being washed away, suddenly those old 18th century hymns you sung suddenly take on life and meaning. Those old Bible texts you read and quoted in a very perfunctory way at church suddenly have life. Those people that you used to say happy Sabbath to, suddenly when they say I'm praying for you, you know they mean it and you know it, you need it. Faith is built for a trial. Let me just make a little extra point on this. That means if you say you have faith, you are saying I'm expecting a trial. There's no point in building an ark and then praying for no flood. Right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a complete waste of time. There's no point in building the ark and then saying, oh God, but don't send the flood, please. I just want to go in the ark. I want to show all my friends that our ark is nicer than your ark. You know, ours is the true ark. Ours is the seventh day ark. There's no point in just having an ark if all it's for is to look at. Okay, next point, next point, next point. So, they build the ark, the flood comes. They get in the boat, the Bible says, uh, Noah and, 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 and his family and, and uh, his, 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 um, his, all the animals. And it says there are even two pairs of all the unclean animals. And then there are seven pairs. Most uh, translators believe it's not just seven animals, but seven pairs. So 14 clean animals. Have you ever wondered to yourself, why did God need so many of the clean animals? Have you ever wondered, have you ever asked yourself that question? You ever, you ever asked yourself that question? You know, some of us who, who enjoy a nice steak say, well, <laughs> pastor, the answer's obvious. 
If you don't bring seven pairs of lambs, how else can you enjoy, you know, a nice curried lamb in the ark? Well, maybe, maybe this was God, what God had in mind. But here's the point. If you only want to just preserve the species, you only really need two, right? Here's the point. There was extra space in the ark. If you read in Genesis chapter 6, God says to Noah, you just need to bring two of every animal. And then in the beginning of 7, he suddenly says, well, I know 120 years ago I told you two of every animal, but now 120 years later, I'm telling you two of the unclean, seven pairs of the birds and seven pairs of the clean. What has changed? Could it be that God intended for other people to join Noah on the ark? But they didn't go. And because they didn't go, he said, well, listen, we've got this space. Let's not waste it. Let's get some more of the sheep in there. Let's, let's get some more cattle. Let's get some more of the birds. Here's the point. Noah could have built an ark with eight rooms. One for him, one for his wife. Because, you know, after 500 years of marriage, you know, I mean, she just needs her own room every now and then. You go do your thing in your wing of the house. I'll be over here. We'll meet at dinner. Right? One for the kids. One for the, like, it would have been great. Why build such a big boat? Here's the second point. Is your faith big enough to save more than just you? Is your faith is the ark that you're building, is it big enough to save more than just you? Now, I know what you're thinking, but, but Jonathan, but, but Pastor, you know, we all know that salvation is, is, is an individual choice that, that, that the person has to make. I mean, I can pray for you, I can hope, but you know, I can't, my faith can't save you. I, I hear what you're saying, but, but just, just think this through with me just for a moment, just for a moment. Do you remember in, in the Gospels when there was the story of uh, the, the paralyzed man? And his four friends uh, carried him uh, on his stretcher to Jesus. And they came to the, the place where Jesus was. And it was so filled, they were so packed, they wouldn't let them in. So they climbed up on the roof. Remember the story? They climbed on the roof. They started pulling the roof apart. And they lowered the man down through the hole in the roof to Jesus. Do you remember this story? Do you remember what Jesus said to the man as he forgave his sins? Do you remember what he said? Do you remember the commentary? It says, because of the friend's faith, not because of his faith. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, speaking of the friends, he said, the sins are forgiven you. Could it be that God is willing to forgive the sins of people in our life? who may not, like the animals, have the sense to realize that something's happening and that they should get on the flood, they should get on the ark. But could it be that if we build the boat big enough, at the right time, God will tell them, he will send them a message. We don't know how the animals knew, but, but suddenly all the animals knew, listen, I just need to get on this boat. Could it be that your children, your grandchildren, your colleagues, your co-workers, You've been praying for them. You've been, you've been trying to tell them about God, but it's like having a conversation about God with an animal. Not that they're animals, but, but they don't get it. But could it be that God wants you to keep building the ark? 
Could it be that God doesn't want you to give up and say it's hopeless, no one's responding? Could it be that God wants you to just do what he's asked you to do? And if you trust him at the right time, he'll send them to the ark. I want to say one more thing. I want to say one more thing about this. Paul in, in, in Corinthians speaks about, uh, speaks about a situation where you have a believing spouse, a believing wife or a believing husband, and they have an unbelieving spouse and an unbelieving uh, uh, husband or wife. And Paul says, if they're willing to live with you peacefully, then live with them. Why? Because they will be sanctified because of you. Now, I'm not here trying to preach, well, you know, you do whatever you want and then just pray and God will make it okay. But, but could it be that God is going to give some undeserved grace to some people because of our faith? Because of our faithfulness. Just, just throwing that out there. Throwing that out there. But last point, last point, we've got to go. Last point. Noah gets in the ark, gets in the boat. All the animals are in there. And at this point, he might have been rightfully feeling pretty smug. You know? Does this ever happen to you? Maybe I'm just speaking to myself. But, but sometimes, I'll just be honest, sometimes as, as, as Adventists or Seventh-day Adventists, you know, we don't always get the best press in the media. Recently, this week, in fact, there was a story, I don't know if any of you saw it, there was a story in the Daily Mail about some horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy that happened over in France. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, there was a young woman who, uh, I don't even know how to say this, but, but her boyfriend who, who used to be, notice the words, who used to be a member of, of our beloved church, somehow got some strange ideas about um, exorcism. And, and so he thought this girlfriend of his was possessed by a spirit. And so he decided to, to kind of crucify her. In order to try to, it's, 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 he clearly has mental issues, we need to pray for him, right? But there in the headlines, Daily Mail, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, you know, exorcism. And you're like, no, no, God, that's not what we believe. It's, it's far from it, the complete opposite. And so every now and then, when something comes out, like when, when maybe also you saw this week in the news uh, about uh, Barry Black. Do you know Barry Black? Uh, he is the, the, uh, the chaplain for the Senate in the USA. He's, he's an Adventist chaplain, an Adventist pastor. Highest chaplain in the land, Barry Black. And there was, a, there was a wonderful piece about him in the New York Times saying how his prayers, and you know the situation in the States now, they've, the government shut down and the this and the that. But he's been praying every morning. And he's been praying really honest prayers, like, God, help these men and women to stop being so stubborn. Help them to stop being so blind. You know, very blunt prayers. And they've been appreciating it. And they've been making some progress. And many of those senators have been saying, you know, we really have to thank uh, Admiral Black for his prayers. They've been helping. And when you see a positive report like that, don't you just sit a little higher in your chair? Yes. Adventism. Or when you hear something like in Australia where, where, where the, sanit the sanitarium brand is like one of the top brands, it's like, And I can imagine, after 120 years of ridicule, when Noah gets on the ark and all the animals join him, he thinks, yes, now they'll stop laughing. Now they'll know that I wasn't crazy. Now they'll know that I followed God. But watch this. 
The Bible says though he had built the ark, though the animals had got there, though his prophecy was correct, though he understood it all, at the end of the day, he didn't have the power to shut himself in the boat. It was only the Lord that could close that door. And if he had built the boat, and everything was great, and all the animals got in, and the door was open, and the flood came, he would have died with the rest of them too. Here's the last and final point. Is your faith in your faith? I'm going to say it again. Is your faith in your faith? Is your hope in the fact that we understand this book better than some others? Is it in the fact that we, we, can, we can show from Daniel and Revelation everything that's happening in the world today? Is your faith in the fact that God sends special messages to this church? Or is your faith in God? Because if Noah had just been looking around at how great the ark was and how well he'd made it and God didn't shut the door, beloved, he would have been lost too. We thank God for the message, for the faith he's given us. But beloved, only the hand of God can seal us when the trials come. No Sabbath school lesson can do that. No Mark Finley sermon. I love Mark Finley, but no Mark Finley sermon can do that. It's only the grace of God that can hold us when the trial comes. And so, we're done, but I just want to leave you with one, one piece of good news. So they're in the ark, right? He's in the boat. They've built it now. It's, God shut them in, and, and all hell is breaking loose. Imagine this in this big, echoey, chasmous boat. They're hearing the sounds of animals screaming and, and people die. It, it would have been a traumatic situation. I mean, we, we paint Noah's Ark like a happy thing. It would have been traumatic. Have you ever heard what it's like for a, for a woolly mammoth to trumpet inside an enclosed room? That's a scary thing. I mean, all hell is breaking loose and yet they're in the boat and, and somehow God's keeping them. But the crazy thing is, the flood that's destroying the world is raising the boat. The flood that's killing and, and breaking the mountains is lifting the boat. And the crazy thing is that in the end, the boat ends up higher than the mountains because of the flood. Here's the good news. In your flood, God can take you higher than your highest mountaintop experience. It's not those high peaks that you thought were great when everything was going well and, and, and everything was great. That's good, but... Somehow God has the power even in the worst situation. If you've built the faith, if you've got in the boat, if you're in Christ, then the thing that should crush you actually elevates you. The problem that should destroy your faith actually pushes your faith through the roof. I know what I'm talking about. It's not just a theory. Last year around this time, we were going through our own flood experience. You guys know what I'm talking about. Lost my dear mother. The crazy thing is, my faith is stronger today than before that time. I can't tell you how. I won't sit here and lie and tell you, well, it's because I went to Sabbath school. It's, it's got nothing to do with what I did. But by God's grace, I was in the ark. I was in Jesus. And God shut me in. And the trial that should have crushed me lifted me higher. What flood are you going through? Maybe right now you're in a flood period, but maybe the flood's coming. Maybe, you, maybe you've just come out of a flood experience and 
You're surveying land and everything is decimated. You survived, but you don't know how you're going to move forward now. Trust the God who gave you in the first place the desire to build an ark. The desire to have faith in Him. Keep building the ark. Keep praying. Keep reading the old, the old, old story. Keep coming to these fellowships and, and, and being inspired. But beloved, by all means, get in the boat. Get in the boat. Don't just know Jesus. Be in him. Don't just know about him. Be wrapped up in him. Get in the boat. Maybe there's someone here this morning who wants to say with me, God, I need you to not only get me in the boat, but I need you to, to shut me in the boat. Uh, maybe someone here this morning, you feel like I'm less like Noah and I'm more like those animals. I just need God to send some sort of command and I just, I just run on the boat and I stay on there because I, I've been getting on the boat and then I, I remember, oh, I forgot my glasses so I get off the boat and I just need God to just, just whatever you have to do, God, make sure I stay in you. If that's your prayer, could you just raise your hands with me? I'm praying that prayer too, God. I need you to keep me in the boat. Father God, you see our raised hands. We need to be in Christ. Your word says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are made new. Lord, we need to get in the boat. We realize that you have given us faith, not just so that we could have more money and that we could believe and get better jobs. And, but you gave us faith so that we could survive the tough times, the trials, the doubts. Lord, we ask that you would keep us. We ask that you would help us to be faithful, that we would build the boat every day. We ask that you'd help us to build the boat big enough for our family. Yes, our faith is our personal relationship with you, but let it not be so personal that no one else even knows about it. Let us build our faith big enough that, that there's space for our, for our husbands and our wives and our children and our, our friends and our grandchildren and our neighbors and even some of the people around us that are acting like animals right now. May they even be able to find self-safety and shelter in our, in our faith in you. And Lord, we trust if we're in a flood situation right now that you will use the flood not to destroy us but to lift us higher higher than we've ever been. Thank you for putting us in the boat and never open the door until it's safe for us to come out in the new earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.